Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me on my left for today's very special episode of TCCP is none other than Sussex and Greece seam bowling sensation, Aristides Carvelas. So, Ari, first things first, mate, thank you very much for joining me here on the podcast today. It's an absolute pleasure to get you on for a chat about all things county crickets. I have to ask, mate, how's your day been so far? Uh, it's been good, thanks. Uh, got the day off today, so nice, uh, slow, easy morning. Uh, so, yeah, no, it's been good, thanks. How are you doing? Very good, to be honest, Ari. Very, very good indeed. The sun is shining here in Shakespeare's County. Warwickshire finally got some draw points as well in the county championship, so... That's given me an extra pep in the step this morning. And yeah, I mean, we've got a, a brilliant title race in the county championship as well. I know that's very cricket focused. There are other things in life, obviously. But yeah, all good at the moment, I must say. I'll probably be a little bit different towards the end of the season. You know, once things wind down and we've got an entire winter without any county cricket. But for the time being, nice and positive And yeah, looking forward to the end of this 2022 county season. But we aren't just here to discuss the 2022 season, are we, Harry? And in fact, just for the new listeners out there who aren't quite familiar with how our podcast works, essentially, I'm going to be talking to Mr. Carvelas about his early scripting memories. Then a large chunk of today's podcast will revolve around his time at Sussex County Cricket Club. And then we'll end today's episode with some listener questions. And yeah, just as a, a word of warning, Harry... Some of them are a little bit rogue, um, so yeah. <laughs> don't worry. I'm I'm looking forward to them. The rogue. So am I, to be honest. <laughs> I really am looking at those. Goodness me, a couple of those are, are very entertaining indeed. But before we get into all of that good stuff, then, Ari, I want to transport you all the way back to the origins of your cricketing story, if I may. So, what were your first ever memories of cricket, either playing or watching this fantastic game? So, one of my first playing. Um, was just sort of playing in the backyard uh, with my dad um, and we were very good friends with our neighbour and we had a sort of uh, garden that's sort of interlinked um, and I remember being out there for hours like after school, before school, even actually before I started school when I was about three, four years old. I remember ever since I can remember I had a bat and a ball in my hand. Uh, my dad was a PE teacher um, and he later on became a principal but um, I just remember him like always encouraging me to play loads of sports and I was always just drawn to cricket. Um, so that's one of my early playing ones. One of my early watching cricket was um, going down to the Wanderers uh, with my dad. So I remember we were sat there, we were busy watching um, a test match that I've got playing. And I mean, I was lucky enough in when I was younger, it was a bit of a golden age for South Africa. It was like Kalas and Pollock and Tini, um, all of those guys. So, and Wanderers, I'm sure as you and the listeners know, is one of the quick, quickest wickets in the world. So I think that was just like watching that ball just flying through at the Wanderers. Uh, no, it was, it was really a privilege. It was really awesome to uh, do. Yeah, it sounds incredible. I must say, and we will talk about that golden age of the Proteas because some of those names you've just mentioned there are incredible. They are legends of the game and you can't talk to a cricket badger without mentioning the likes of Callis and Pollock and Macarantini and expect not to have a conversation about that. But you talk of the Wanderers and we do have quite a few South African listeners out there and I'm going to pose a little bit of a question here, Ari. 
is the Wanderers the best cricket stadium in South Africa, in your opinion? Yes or no? Uh, in my opinion, I think it is. Like, I've, I love playing there. It's, it's unbelievable. Like, just the, the whole, like, the size of the stadium itself, it is, it's massive, you know? And it's just got, like, sort of this awe about it. And the nice thing is that the, the pitch is quick, the outfield is quick. So it's, like, always high entertaining cricket. Um, but, I mean, you can't take away from somewhere like Newlands. I mean, it's so picturesque, you know. Um, I've played a first-class game there. And I'm, like, fielding on the boundary and I'm looking up at the mountains. And I'm, like, how is this, how is this, how, is it, how am I on a cricket field right now? Like, it's, I can't take away from, New, like, Newlands is stunning. I can't, you know, in terms of, like, views and stuff like that, it's it's just, but for me, Wanderers is my favourite. Um, I mean, it's it was my home ground. So, and I just love, I love playing there. Fair enough. I mean, Newlands is gorgeous. It is on my critting bucket list. It really is. It's so picturesque. Table Mountain in the background. And Cape Town looks like a lovely city as well. So I think I would go with Newlands. But the Wanderers or the Boring, as it's also known, goodness me, that is some ground, isn't it? And you mentioned the seam conducive nature of the surface. Some of the battles we've witnessed in Johannesburg over the years have just been scintillating for us to watch as cricket fans. And talking of that South African team then, because you've mentioned those legendary players. And let's be honest, when it comes to the Proteas, there's no shortage of incredible players to choose from for this next question. But in those formative years, aside from family influences, so your dad quite clearly a huge influence on your early cricketing journey, but in the professional game itself, either at domestic or indeed the international level, Ari, who did you look up to and try to emulate in those early years per se? So it's actually quite a funny funny one is obviously I mentioned all those South African legends and stuff, but my favorite bowler growing up was actually Glenn McGrath. Um, so I drove my parents crazy. So basically, obviously in Australia, the, the series are in December, the test series. So in South Africa, you have school holidays for like five to six weeks, December, Jan. And if they were playing at one o'clock, I'd be up at one o'clock watching the first uh, the first session. Then if it was starting at five o'clock, I would literally be up at five and I would watch the whole day's play and then I would just sleep the rest of the afternoon. But like, I just remember always like trying to tiptoe to the lounge, like not to wake my parents up. Um, but yeah, no, Glenn McGraw, like that was, that was someone I really looked up to. And then obviously, I mean, I named him earlier, like, Sean Pollock, Alan Donald, Nkayantini. Um, I think when I was growing up, those were the big names, you know. And also someone like Brett Lee. I loved watching him, you know. So I was very lucky growing up in the terms of how much, like, talent there was around in terms of fast bowling. Because I even used to watch love watching Darren Goff and Andy Caddick open for England, you know. I mean, I remember watching them all the time and just being like really amazed, especially with Darren Goff was someone I loved watching just purely the way he shaped the ball. Like it was, Oh, it was just, it was just beautiful to watch. So I sort of grew up when I was growing up, I was very lucky. And then as I sort of got a bit older, uh, Mornay Morkel and Dale Stain came through. 
Um, so yeah, I was just I was very lucky. I had really good fast bowling uh, um, models to look up to. Well, you most certainly did, and for seeing bowling in general as an art form, definitely a golden era. I mean, look at Pakistan as well with Wakar Yunus and Wazi Makram, just two of the incredible players that they also produced over the years. And you mentioned Glenn McGrath, just the 563 test wickets for, yeah, for pitch. Yeah, ridiculous. Uh, not no, a bad bowler was Glenn no, McGrath, wasn't exactly. he? exactly. I think, yeah, I think that's something I really, I really just love watching him bowl. And then obviously, like, as I got a bit older and started really, like, doing a bit more research, I mean... I got into watching the West Indians of like the 1980s um, and just watching loads of like content of them, you know, and they were just like that sort of ruthless nature. I think it was just, they just kept coming and coming and coming. And it was something that really helped me with my bowling because as a fast bowler, you have to be aggressive. Like that's sort of the mentality you have to have. And you don't have to do it by spraying the batter or whatever you do it in the way you bowl and you're sort of like your presence and stuff and just the the presence that i remember like growing up like watching the west indians and south africa australia like they just all had like this real like intimidation factor and i think australia still have that at home and i think i can't remember when it was watching but um i remember when South Africa beat Australia for the first time in Oz, Dale Stain literally went there and he really wanted to put that sort of intimidation on the Australians. And I think that's, if you want to beat Australia in Australia, you also also have to, your fast bowlers and that, they have to have that presence and that sort of intimidation factor um, so that you can put their batters under the same pressure your batters are going to be. 100%. I think you've articulated that quite beautifully there, Ari. And again, looking at those same bowling battles over the years, not just that series between South Africa and Australia, but you can go all the way back to the 1930s. Look at bodyline bowling with Douglas Jardine and England in that 1932-33 Ashes series. It is a gripping form of the game. I love seam bowling. I love fast bowling. And to be honest, we could talk about it all episode, and we will touch upon it in a bit more detail for this next question. But why did you become a seam bowler? What was it about seam bowling in particular that grabbed your attention and almost fuels your love of the art form itself? Why didn't you become a spin bowler or a keeper or a specialist bat? What was it about seam bowling that was just so attractive in the first place? I think, like, obviously, I started when I learned how to bowl, I learned how to bowl as a seamer to start off with. But I think what really like gripped me to it was going down to the Wanderers and just seeing like the, that ball like flying through and seeing the bowlers really getting in the batter's like face and like and especially going down and watching test cricket that's who wins you games like you know your FOSS bowlers are the, are the bowlers who are going to win you a test match and I think that's why I was really drawn to it because I've always wanted to be the person who's going to win the game for my team. So busy watching that. And also like, it just naturally was always attractive to me, like watching the fast bowler be the spearhead and the leader and stuff like that. Um, and that's, I think, something that really drew me to it. And I've, I can remember whenever, when I was young, I always just wanted to just try bowl as quick as I can. 
Like that's something that, and I still try to now. Um, and I think that's that's just what really drew me into it in the first place. And then I think as I got older, you then start building on more skills and stuff like that. And I mean, as a fast bowler, you're always going to be learning. There's never going to be when I when so James Anderson is still working on new things. Do you know what I mean? And he's mm-hmm. the on record the best seam bowler ever, and he's still trying to figure out ways at forty trying new things um and i think that's something that also attracts me about it is i enjoy learning all the time so to know that i'm doing a skill that i might not ever perfect in my career you know yes i'm gonna i want to keep getting better but it's just that sort of draws me to it is where you just got to keep learning and and i really enjoy that well i must say ari i really like that mentality and it's so true as well i mean we've spoken to to seen bowlers who are in the later stages of their career or have recently retired. I think back to, to speaking about Ricky Clark, and he said some of the best deliveries he learned were actually in his late 30s because you might not have the speed anymore. But as a seam bowler, if you can work on those variations, it's about guile. It's about deceiving the batter at the crease. And you never stop learning. You never stop improving. And I think that's a very good way of looking at it. And talking of those deliveries, for you personally, as a seam bowler, what is your favorite delivery? Would you go for a Yorker, a bouncer, in-swinger, out-swinger, slower ball, knuckleball? What would you say is your go-to delivery as a fast bowler? So my go-to is probably, it's more like my natural shape is to swing the ball away. Um, so for me, like the the dream ball is like, and whenever I think about it, I always think of um, Jimmy Anderson bowling to McCullum, where it's sort of like, goes in a little bit and then nips away and they're trying to clip you through mid-wicket and it just hits the top of off. And then you're like, okay, cool. Like I've turned this guy inside a hat now. Like that's a proper, that's like a proper victory. You know what I mean? Um, and I think watching Dale Stain a lot, like growing up, just naturally, obviously being in South Africa, he just shaped the ball away beautifully. So just watching him, I really... That was a skill like I really wanted to always perfect is like getting that a my way swinger. So yeah, I think that's that's always my my best ball. Um so if I'm ever in a situation that's that sort of ball I'm gonna go to is just sort of trying to shape it away, hit the top of off stump. That's probably that's my go to ball. I like that answer. I do like that answer as a, a massive fan of, of Jimmy Anderson. In my opinion, the best swing bowler ever in the history of our fantastic game. Obviously, I'm going to agree with that. And and someone else who comes to mind straight away, just think of Tim Southey, you know, with his outswinger as well, gets lovely shape, lovely movements, and it's a very aesthetically pleasing delivery when there is that little bit of nip and, and swing in the air or indeed from the pitch itself. And Ari, just before we get on to the chat about your, your time in the UK, so in village cricket and, of course, your time at Sussex so far, just one final question. Because you did mention Dale Stain, and I just wanted to go into the the psychological aspects of seam bowling just for a second. First and foremost, when you are in the heat of battle, do you ever get white line fever? For those who don't know what that is, it's essentially when your personality changes, doesn't it? Because you're in a competitive environment, the pressure's on, and you do get a bit more aggressive. Have you ever had that in your career so far? Yeah, so <laughs> to be honest, when I was younger... Um... I had that a lot. Um, I had like, I had that quite a bit. And the thing with me is sometimes I would get white line fever and then it, 
it might actually take me away from my plan, you know, and it would affect me sort of in a, in more of a negative way because it almost became like a head loss. Like I would just be like focusing and I just want to be like trying to spray the batter and I forget about actually I'm playing a game of cricket. And I think as time went on and I got more experienced, I used that to my advantage. Whereas like now I use that white line fever in terms of like, okay, cool. I'm in a battle. I want to get their best batter out. Okay. How am I going to best do that? And do you know what I mean? And you just, you obviously become more like aggressive in nature, but the way you do it in a controlled manner is by making the ball talk. And yeah, the look, you talk about Dale Stain. He, look at him. He hardly, he's, yes, there were times where he said things, but very rarely he did. Everyone always talks about Dale Stain's stare. He would just stare at the batsman. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's almost his way of saying, I'm in the battle yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? I think he, that like sort of stare, and I think that's something I've like sort of, as time's gone on, brought into my own game where I wouldn't really like spray the batter, but I'll like stare at him so he knows I'm, yeah, I'm in the battle. You know what I mean? And I think sometimes... I think sometimes that's what you need. You need to let the batter know, okay, cool, we're in the battle, especially with the the best batters because I think a lot of the time the best batters come in and, yes, of course you respect the batter, but I think sometimes bowlers can show them too much respect and they sort of just, oh, okay, they, and then they allow the batter's presence to sort of dominate the situation. And I think when you talk about white line fever, I think you that's the bowler almost trying to like push back onto the batter and be like, okay, no, I'm not going to let you just dominate you. I'm going to be the one, yeah, that's going to be, be putting you under pressure. Because as a bowler, in longer formats, you have unlimited opportunity. Whereas a batter has one, well, two across the innings. But I'm saying in that particular innings, they only have one opportunity. So the pressure is always going to be on the batter, you know. So the bowler sort of has a bit of like free reign. Um, but I mean, it's it's situational as well. Like, you know, I normally, when I get white line fever, it's normally when my team needs me most or when I know their best batters in uh, those sort of situations because that's how you're going to win your team the game. That's what I always think. Like, what can I, when I'm bowling, what is it going to take for me to win my team the game? Is it going to be that the bowl on the other end is just running through them and I need to hold up an end and go at, one, two, and over, or is it, okay, cool, I'm the strike bowler, I need to come in and I need to be the one that's going to take, I'm going to blast this team out, like take three, four wickets. You know, I think that's sort of um, what I've learned um, in terms of like white line fever, how to channel it in the correct way. It's fascinating, isn't it? And again, it comes back to that, that conversation we are having earlier about a presence and intimidating your opposition in that battle it is a really interesting part of the of the game, and it's interesting there you mention actually about the battle with certain batters, and in particular the bigger names. So, for example, if you've got an international superstar in county cricket, how do you compartmentalise that and take away the reputation from the the competitor? I suppose. Well, for me, so Imran Tahir. So this is how we actually learned this week going a bit off topic yeah but he always said before he played a team he would literally make a list of their best batters and the batters he wanted to get out and i think for years i did that without realizing like in club cricket whatever first class cricket whatever it may be 
I always was like, okay, I want to get these a particular bat out. And I think I do that when when we play against like any opposition. I always want to get their best bat, whether I'm playing club cricket or county cricket, whatever it is. And I think that sort of goes into the same with what you're saying there is when I'm coming up against an international superstar, I sort of, if you want to talk about that white line fever, it just helps me switch on way more. And I'm like, okay, cool. I know that this is a big moment in the game. If I can get him out, there we go. We've got their big gun and then we can move forward. Um, but it's like you say, I think you just can't read too much into the name because I think that's what can happen. And then you almost put yourself on the back foot because you, you're almost like looking at this person in like that they're a step above you, whereas they're actually not. We're on the same cricket field. It's a level playing field. Um, so I think that's what I do. I just I always know that I want to get them out. Um, and I think maybe that for me is the way I sort of take away the name and I just see them as, okay, this is just another batter that I'm bowling to. I suppose as well, the beauty of bowling, you're only ever one ball away. All it needs is a little bit of swing, a little bit of movement, nip off the surface. Doesn't matter if it's a club cricketer or, or Virat Kohli. One good ball, all it takes. So it is fascinating. And we're going to have to, to pick up this conversation when we get into the talk about county cricket in due course. But while we are on the, the subject of club cricket, Ari, in the first place, how did the move to England actually transpire, I suppose? Because so far in, in the podcast, we've spoken a lot about South Africa. We've spoken a lot about seam bowling. But... We haven't really spoken about your journey to the UK in the first place. So how did that move actually come about to to fruition? So it was actually quite a weird one because um, I'm sure you'll know of Jimmy Cook. Um, mm-hmm. So I used to go for one-to-one sessions with his, his son, Ryan Cook. Um, and like ever since, obviously he would like, his brother Stephen had come over and played a bit of um, county stuff. And we would always actually just talk about it, just like always talk about county cricket. And it was something that I think when I was like really young, I don't think a lot of South African kids back in the, like when I was younger, really thought about county cricket. I think more so now, but not back then. I think it was something I always um, wanted to do from a really young age. So anyway, I went to a university in South Africa for two years and then I decided, no, I want to take my cricket really seriously. So I just spoke to the coach um, at my club at the time and he had connections um, over in the UK. So he sort of organized for me through Nick Pothas, actually, um, yeah, to go to Hartley Wintney. Um, And the reason he had known Hartley Wintney is basically Hampshire would play a charity match every year at Hartley Wintney. So he had met the people there and that's sort of like how... um, my coach at the time, Dean Lang, he um, he knew Nick Pothas from playing with him for Transvaal. Um, and then, yeah, so that's how I ended up coming over to Hartley Whitney. And then I really enjoyed it. And then, yeah, I came back. And then, obviously, I met my fiance. Um, and then, yeah, I was always coming back for a season because then I would spend time with her and I would play cricket. Um, but, yeah, I think the main reason I kept coming back was the fact that I wanted to play county cricket that was always my that was always my goal for that was always my reason for coming over was to to push I I was lucky enough that I um, have a Greek passport so um, especially before Brexit it sort of meant that I would 
counts as a local player straight away. Um, so I just kept, yeah, that's sort of sort of how it all started. Well, it's a very interesting route into the game. And you mentioned Hartley Whitney as a cricket club. I think they hosted Fidel Edwards' testimonial this year as well. So there is yeah. quite a strong connection. Yeah, between... that's correct. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So Fidel Edwards' testimonial was there this year. It looks like uh, I actually played in a, it was a Hampshire Legends game versus Hartley Whitney's first side. Um, I played in that game and Sean Udall um, was the captain that day. Um, and yeah, it was just a great day out. I mean, it's, it's, I remember that year it was for like charity and, you know, and all the like raffles and a formal thing. And it was just, yeah, it's just a wonderful day. And I think that's what, that's what's really special about English club cricket is it brings together a whole community. It's not just the cricket players or the, I mean, the Hartley Whitney cricket, um, club is in the middle of the village. So, on a sunny day, everyone is just like coming there, you know, and you see new people and it just brings a real like sense of community. Um, and I think that's what's so great about about it. It is. It's wonderful. And I could wax lyrical about village cricket all day, to be completely honest. And to be honest, Harry, it's really refreshing. Quite clearly, you're, you're so passionate about village cricket as well. And just looking at your play cricket stats and your career, over the years, you played for quite a few clubs. So we've mentioned Hartley Whitney. You played for Aston Hall. You played for Kiverton Park Colliery. Played for Tunbridge Wells, Alton and West Warwickshire here in the Midlands. Great club. And the next one as well, Noel and Dorridge at the Mighty Station Road. Very, very big fan of, of that particular shout. And now as of 2022, playing for Wimbledon Cricket Club. So you've been up and down the country playing club cricket. So I, I have to ask, how would you describe your experiences in English club cricket and what has made those experiences so special? It's they've been great, you know, honestly. Um, and what's made them so great is the people. Uh, it's like I said to you before, um, the cricket club, wherever it's been, it's it's like a real sense of community, and everyone is there supporting you. And obviously, for a lot of those seasons, I was an overseas player, um, so. You know, you've got like young kids coming up to you and like talking to you and they really want to get to know you and then you end up coaching them, you know, and it's it's like I say, you, you in English club cricket, there's like that, like I said to you, a real sense of community. And I just, I think you get that in other parts of the world, but not as much as, yeah, I feel like you always have, you always have like the sort of old dogs that are there. They've been at the club for like, 60 years even longer some of them you know and they're still coming down i mean at wimbledon we're so lucky with like um the committee and the older guys that come down they come to all our away games at all our home games you know what i mean and they just you know and it's that's sort of like it's special because it makes a real difference uh in people's lives and it's somewhere where even non-cricket fans can come and watch and enjoy. I mean, I'll give you an example. I went down to Wimbledon. I, I couldn't play because uh, it was in the middle of the Royal One Day Cup. And I think we were playing on this on the Monday or something like that. But I, I couldn't play. So I went down to Wimbledon and I was walk, I was doing a lap and I sat down and this guy came and sat and he said, oh, what what's being played here? And I was like, oh, no, it's cricket. And it was a German guy who had never seen cricket ever before. And he sat down there and we had like a 15-minute convo and I was explaining the game to him. 
and he just loved it. Like he was like really enjoying it. Um, and then I carried on on my lap and he literally stayed there the whole game. You know what I mean? Like that, I don't think that happens, um, in other parts of the world really too much. Um, so yeah, it's like I said, it's a sense of community. It brings people together and it's like I say, the people make it, you know, that's really like the support and, and the pure enjoyment that, you know, so yeah, no, I've been very lucky with every single club I've gone to. The people have really made it really special. Well, that is absolutely wonderful to hear. It really is such a glowing endorsement of of village and club cricket here in England and Wales. So I've got a massive grin on my face, as you can imagine, listeners. That's really, really fantastic to hear, honestly. That's made me very, very happy, to say the least, Arians. I, I was going to ask who's your favourite club, but I'm not going to do that because it goes back to the old adage of comparison is the thief of joy. So instead, I'm going to start talking about the county aspects now, if I may, because we've spoken about South Africa. We've spoken about scene bowling. We've spoken about village and, and club cricket here on these British shores. But where did the, the journey into county cricket in the first place kind of materialise? Because you played for Kent and Somerset second eleven, But how did that opportunity with Sussex come about in the first place? Yeah, so... Actually, a bit of a weird way it came about is it got to the end of last season um, and I sort of just emailed Sussex and I just said, oh, look, are there any opportunities? And then um, Luke Dunning got in touch, who's the analyst, um, and he said, oh, we've only got like one or two games left. I'll see if I, what can happen. And then I ended up playing a twos game for them. Um, last twos game of the season against Durham, um, and then Keith was like, okay, I mean, uh, sorry, Luke was like, okay, cool. Let's stay in touch over the, over the winter. Let's see, maybe we can get you in to a few training sessions. So over the winter, I went down to Hove two or three times, went and trained there. Um, and then, yeah, and then I played the first two ga- two's game of the season and then I played one or two more, I think. Um, and then, uh, flew over to Finland to play in World Cup qualifiers for Greece. Um, and I played one game and I got a phone call to basically say, um, how quickly can you get back? Because you're probably going to be in the squad to play at Lords next week. So <laughs> I was like, in the, I was in Finland, I was in Helsinki and I was like, oh my gosh. So I remember phoning Georgia first and be like, you're not going to believe this. Like, I'm going to have to fly home. Uh, I better start, like, go look at at flats. And then, obviously, I had to, like, go explain to the captain and coach of Greece, like, and look, they were very supportive. Um, and, yeah, so that's sort of how, how it all happened. Like, it all just happened so quickly. Um, I also, uh, Ash Wright, who's a two's coach, he was um, running the T20 training sessions um, while the first team was still playing Champo games. And then he got me down to also like just train and do some bowling with like the white ball squad and stuff. So, yeah, so I've sort of been in and around at Sussex since the last game of last, so probably like a year now, basically. Um, So, yeah, that's sort of how it all happened. I've got to be completely honest. I've been doing this podcast for two years now. That might be the most surreal and unique entry into the county circuit I think I've ever heard. Because you're right, it was within the space of a week, wasn't it? If I'm not mistaken, it was like the 12th of July or something. You're in Vanta 
playing in those World Cup qualifiers. And then the very next week, you're at the home of cricket, making your first-class debut for, for Sussex. It's it's baffling and, again, a fantastic example of of the strange things that can happen in this thing that we call life. But in, in terms of that Greece game, first and foremost, before we talk about the the game at Lords and a certain stats, which I just have to bring up, which actually may involve someone who we've mentioned on the podcast, fully enough. In terms of that Greece game, what was that like, making your international debut? That must have been pretty surreal in itself, mustn't it? It was, yeah, it was surreal. And um, I got to make my brother made his international debut with me, uh, which was also quite cool. Like, because I mean, we were always in the back garden together, like playing scenarios and stuff. So that was pretty surreal. Um, yeah, it was amazing. You know, it was it was really cool. It was unfortunately it wasn't a very nice day. It was it was raining in Finland. We were playing on an Astro. And I was like, it was just, it was just very different. Um, and but it was, it was a really enjoyable experience. All the guys, like in the Greek team, they they're really good guys, and they're all really enthusiastic and stuff. Um, but yeah, it was like it was a bit nerve wracking because I haven't played like early in the year. I played in the ECN uh, or EC, um, ECL rather, sorry, um, and. I played on Astro there. Oh, there you go. It's got you mm-hmm. got your shirt on. Lovely. Have indeed. Little <laughs> Easter egg for today. <laughs> Lovely. Um, no, so I um in Feb was the first time I'd played on Astro since I was probably like 10 years old. And it was just it's just so different because you're like charging in and you've got rubber sparks on, and you're just like, how is this gonna hold me? Do you know what I mean? Like you literally you have you have so much doubt. It, like running in do you know what i mean mm-hmm. um so that was something i had to deal with and get used to because i was like yes i'm slipping but you just got to get on with it like there's nothing you can do about it just just try your best and stuff you know um but yeah it was a great experience um i'm glad that i did it um and yeah i just think the more development um of those sort of countries in europe and stuff the better for the game you know i mean you look at Ireland and Holland and stuff like that and you look how quickly they've actually risen and how they they really are competing now I mean so I think yeah I think that it's a really good way and I think I mentioned the ECN and ECL and that I think they're playing a huge role in that I think the work that they're doing there I just think it's fantastic how they they grow in the game um, and I hope it continues because uh, it's a great model and the way that they've They've got it across all of Europe now. And I've got actually one of my good mates is coaching the Portuguese team there at the moment. So, yeah. And then one of my other, uh, one of my coaches from back home, he um, is also involved in umpiring for them and running their tournaments and stuff. So, yeah, it's a great initiative and they're doing a fantastic job. That I can't speak more highly of that tournament I went to in February. I just, I just loved it. It was so professionally run. Um, so yeah, and and it's great for entertainment. Um, so yeah, it is indeed. I mean, that's why I'm wearing the the shirt of Janjo Brescia of Italy <laughs> yeah. from the the 2019 tournament. It's it's a very interesting concept, and I completely echo the sentiment about growing the game. I mean, we've seen some court heroes emerging from this tournament, likes of Pavel Florin. I like Big Pav. Shout out to Pavel Florin. Interviewed him on a number of occasions, but he came through via Cluj in the 2019 tournament, the Romanian side. And it's great to watch teams from Belgium and Portugal and Romania and Finland and 
and all of these different European nations coming together for these tournaments. Corfu as well, who you played for, GEK. Another, yeah. <laughs> yeah, gig, yeah, yeah, another shout out for the podcast. But goodness me, it is a very interesting concept. And obviously, in the future, we do want to see more European nations becoming the next Holland, the next Scotland, the next Ireland. It would be brilliant for the global game. But getting back onto track in terms of of county cricket now, we've got to talk about your debut because what better place to make your first class debut for Sussex than at the home of cricket? And Ari, I've got to ask, before we talk about the game itself, what were the nerves like? What were the emotions like when you're stepping out onto that field for the very first time at the cradle of the very game itself? What was going through your mind at that particular moment? Gosh, it was like, oh, I can't explain to you. So I got I got the tube there um, because obviously I'm living in London. Um, so I got the tube there and I was actually the first to arrive. And then the second to arrive was Pujara, actually, funnily enough. So I was sort of stood there by the nursery ground, and I was like, I have no idea where to go here. Like, I literally have no idea. And I was like, I saw Pujara, I was like, oh, thank goodness. Like, obviously, he would have played here, so he'll know. So I ended up going with uh, Puj, and he ended up showing me, like, the changing rooms, and we were the first ones there. And I sort of just, like, walked to the balcony, I looked out, and there was no one in it. It was literally because it was one of the. It was the day before it was going to be like thirty-eight. I think that day was like thirty-five, and the next day was going to be thirty-eight. So they had like the hovercraft uh, covers over the pitch, and there was no one there. But the atmosphere of it, I can't even describe it to you. It was like it was like overpowering. I was like looking, and I was like, no, like it just it didn't feel real. Um, it was just amazing. And then the next day like getting presented my cap and stuff, it was, yeah, it was quite emotional because I think it was, I mean, I've been trialing since 2017 when I, I played for the MCC Young Cricketers. Um, so it was a very long, it was a very long, like sort of journey. And then to get him up, present my cap at Lords, it was like, it was, yeah, it just felt, it felt really special. And then walking down to, because, Obviously, we batted first. So then walking down, like, through the long room and stuff, and everyone's, like, standing and clapping for you. You just, oh, it was, yeah, it was amazing. I was very, yeah, I was just, it was a lot of emotion. Um, and I was just really happy to get a, get that first wicket, to be honest. I was like, when I got my first wicket, I was like, oh, like a sigh of relief almost. Um, so it was a very special place to, I mean, score my first county championship runs and take my first county championship wicket i mean wow what a place unbelievable it is indeed it's just got that aura hasn't it about it lords it's the home of cricket for a reason and an incredibly special place it is almost like you walk through those those grace gates and you can feel the history it's like history coming alive almost it's it's a really weird feeling i don't think it can be replicated anywhere else on on planet earth i mean obviously i'm going to say edgebaston because i'm a warwickshire fan and yeah, I mean, people will probably roll their eyes at that, but that's another place which creates similar feelings for me as a Warwickshire fan. But Lord's an incredible place to debut for Sussex. And in terms of the debut itself, you mentioned the wickets. We will talk about your performance, but I've got to bring up the stats. And I think you'll know the answer to this, Ari. But you were the first Greek player to take a wicket in the county championship since 2006. I'm guessing you know the answer, but do you know? who that person was 
all the way back in 2006. Gosh, you took a wicket. Mm-hmm. You've mentioned his name. I was going to say, was it Nick Bothas? Yes, it was. Gosh, you're the <laughs> keeper, though. Mm-hmm. His first Gosh. and only ever first-class wicket. Was that Lord? Gosh, that's crazy to think. Wow, okay. Very cool. I didn't know that. <laughs> so that's your way. That's a really interesting fact that I heard. That's so cool. It is. I, I do have to give credit to Xavier Vote Hill for that on, on Twitter. <laughs> he he was the one who, who first brought that to my attention. But 16 years it was Gosh. between Greek players taking wickets in, in the county championship. And you didn't just take the one wicket. You did take the two figures of two for 72 from your 23.5 overs. Again, I'm guessing you know the answer to this, but who were the two wickets for those who aren't aware, Harry? Uh, one was Peter Milan and then Tim Murta. What a pair of wickets to get on your debut. Peter Milan, test international player from your home country of South Africa, and Tim Murta. Yeah, don't really need to add anything. Legend of county cricket, legend of Irish cricket. I remember him tearing through England in 2019 at Lords, funnily enough. Yeah. And he got five for, th- five for 13, was it? Yeah, it was. It was five for thirteen. I remember. Oh. It was. Yeah, gosh, no. Um, no, I was very happy with those two wickets. Um, I think that's sort of what we spoke about earlier. Like, obviously, Peter Milan being the international player, and obviously, I, I mean, I've never played played him back home or anything, but I obviously knew his reputation back home of what a good player. So he was definitely someone I really, I really wanted to get out. So for him to be my first wicket, I was, I was really chuffed with that. So yeah brilliant it is a fantastic wicket to get isn't it it's a little bit more special when it's a test player because it's like a, a string in the in the bow a feather in the cap isn't it i suppose and in terms with the batting hand as well Harry, seven from 32 and then you've got to talk to me about the second innings 57 from 97 balls six fours two sixes where did that come from no look i've i've always i've always been able to bat and it's something that i i enjoy doing and I always like working hard on and stuff. Um, I think what it doesn't tell you there is I got sconed three times in that game. <laughs> Yadav hit me twice. And then uh, Toby Rowland Jones hit me, literally couldn't have hit me more flush on the badge. Um, and I had to actually wait around to do a concussion test. Well, I did a concussion test on the field and then later that day. Um, but yeah, no, it was sort of, we'd obviously lost quite a few wickets. Um, and it was a scenario of if we lose a couple more, yeah, we could lose the game. And that would not have been a, f- a fair reflection of the game because we actually dominated the first two, two and a half days. You know, I think it was the the final session on day three where Toby Rowland Jones um, and Tom Helm, they just came out and they just started teeing off and the ball just started disappearing. And that sort of brought them back into the game and then um, Helm was just, he bowled so well that game. Like, he was just all over us. And um, I think he sort of just took, like, four wickets really quickly, I think. I can't remember if it was three or four. Um, and I came in and it was Archie and I. And then we were just, like, sort of dug in for a while. And, yeah, I think that's sort of what motivated me was I really didn't want to lose a game that we had dominated for two and three quarters you know wouldn't have been a fair reflection and obviously doing it for my team um and not having scored a lot of people have been like oh i can't believe you haven't scored a first class 50 
So to score my first one at Lords um, and get that uh, monkey off my back, I was uh, yeah, I was I was really happy with that. But I mean, that was just an added bonus to saving the game uh, for Sussex. Well, you most certainly did that. And if I may say so myself, the the image of yourself and Archie out in the middle at Lords was quite funny. In terms of the height difference, <laughs> I mean, that's just me, me saying that's a neutral. It was uh, very entertaining to say the least. But yeah, great partnership, a great game of cricket as well between Middlesex and Sussex in that particular round of the championship. And that is some debut. It really is that maiden first class 50, couple of wickets as well. They must have been absolutely chuffed, Arians. This is going to be a difficult question because obviously there was that debut. And then on top of that, as if that wasn't enough, an outstanding. Royal London One Day Cup campaign, 20 wickets in nine matches at an average of 19.45, including a couple of four wicket hauls. In my opinion, you have been one of the finds of the entire tournament. Would you say that that first class debut for Sussex was your proudest moment, your highlight? Or would you say there was something from that Royal London One Day Cup campaign, which almost topped it? In your view, what's been your your real go-to moment from this particular season? I think... Being winning our group in the Royal One Day Cup, I think that's my I think that's my proudest. Um, you know, I, th- I mean, anyone following cricket and stuff would see it's been Sussex have taken a massive punt on rebuilding, and I think it's it's been a difficult couple years. Um, and I just think us winning the winning our group was just fantastic, and especially the way in which we did it. Uh, we talk about Middlesex, and we basically had to beat Middlesex in our final group game and we would going into it if we lost we wouldn't have even made the quarters but if we won we won our group like so it was basically a quarter final for us um so I remember like getting ready for that game because we the week before we had traveled all the way up to Durham and then all the way down to Taunton and then had to go back to Hove so like it was it was quite a crazy like uh like week really um and then yeah and then we had to come get up for that game and i mean the guys were all up for it and we scored 400 you know i mean doing that um was just really special so yeah i think that's definitely my proudest i think winning our winning our group um i think that the way we played in the Royal One Day Cup, I think a lot of gave a lot of players and a lot of supporters and stuff belief. Um, you know, and it's such a talented group. The honestly the sky's the limit. So just for people to have that sort of belief, I think that's really important. So yeah, that was definitely my proudest moment. Well, again, it's a lovely moment and it was a very impressive campaign, I must say, from the Sharks or the Martlets, whichever the two Sussex nicknames you want to choose. For that one day cup campaign but it was a very very impressive tournament from not only yourself but also brad curry and i just wanted to ask this question really um because i don't think it came up in the listener questions but what is your relationship like with brad curry because you two just seem to click instantly in this year's competition yeah we actually we're really close we actually uh we roommates um so we yeah so sussex have put us up in a flat together so we live together what's that uh, like yeah, no, it's great. Honestly, like, it's been really awesome. I think because obviously we've both been brought in as trialists. So it's nice being with someone else who's in the uh, same position as you. And I mean, we just get on really, really well. And I think we 
we're just both so happy for each other's success, you know, and we, and it's nice having that. Um, I mean, everyone at Sussex is happy for each other's success, but when you're living with someone and it's someone that's in the same position and you can bounce off each other, you know, um, yeah, we, we're really close. And I mean, we played a, a couple of those twos games together. So we got to know each other then. Um, so yeah, no. So I, I was, we actually joke about it and we were saying we would love to see our stats together in as an opening partnership um, because there were like a couple games where I wasn't really on it and then he was cleaning up the other end and then the vice versa, you know. So we just sort of, we always had each other's backs and then there was obviously like the Leicester game where we both just clicked together. Um, so yeah, no, it's been great. It's been great um, have being on this journey with Brad. You know, we sorry to branch off here a little bit but when i flew back from finland on the saturday we both had to go get um our heart scans and the only place they could book soon enough for us was in norfolk so literally track. <laughs> yeah so i remember getting the because i got the train up and he drove from hampshire uh, from bournemouth and i remember meeting him there and we both had to <laughs> we both had to have our heart scans together yeah, it was, yeah, so our journeys have just pretty much been together, really. We played, the first time we played together was against Gloucester's second team um, at Bristol uh, in a twos game. And then ever since, we've basically just been roommates um, and we've just been traveling together. So it's it's just so great to see him doing well as well. I mean, his debut at Lords was also fantastic. I mean, a six for first class debut at Lords, I mean, oh, it was world class. It was indeed. And I'm really happy to hear that, I must say, because I did like the dynamic between you two up the top. Incredible combination. I mean, Sussex have, have surely got to get the contracts out. Obviously, that's <laughs> not in my, my hands at all, but... You know, if I was involved at Sussex County Cricket Club in, in any capacity, yeah, you two would be signed up almost immediately for that one-day cup campaign. Incredible stuff and great for us to witness as, as county fans. You know, Thanks. two trialists coming much. in, making in such a an instant impact. No, you deserve the plaudits, Harry. You really do. And as you'll see with the listener questions, you've quite clearly made an impact on the fans as well. I know they want you back down in Hove next season. So we will keep our fingers crossed, in particular for the Sussex faithful, they do make the, the journey back down for the 2023 season. But we've spoken there mostly about the positives and the highlights and the great moments from the county season. But unfortunately, as is the case in not just cricket, but in wider life, we do have our difficult moments as well. The game of cricket is the great leveller, isn't it? You think you're on the top of the world, you have one bad performance, it does spiral out of control a bit, and all of a sudden you feel like a little bit of a nobody. That's just the nature of the beast at times from this particular season or indeed over the course of your entire journey, Ari, what do you say has been the toughest moments? Have there ever been any particularly profound or difficult moments that you've experienced in your time in either County cricket or indeed the wider world of cricket in general? Um, I think a tough moment was when I decided to, move over permanently to the UK. Um, reason being is South Africa went through a restructure and I actually had a few contract offers there uh, from a couple of franchises and stuff. Um, and I decided to obviously just put all my eggs in one basket in the UK. Um, 
And yeah, it was a difficult decision, like turning those down, because obviously there was no certainty I'd be able to continue my professional career over here. So that's definitely one moment that sticks out as um, that was quite quite a tough moment, you know. Um, look, it was made easier, like through the support of my fiance and stuff, and you know what I mean. So yeah, that was definitely a, a tough moment for me. Um, I think in terms of county stuff, it was definitely tough losing in the semi-final uh, to Langs, especially after having them like 62 for five. Um, I think that was a tough moment because we had worked really, really hard. Um, and probably on that day, we started off really well, but we didn't show what we were truly capable of. Um, but I mean, it's a learning experience. And I think one thing I've certainly taken out of it is I've learned a lot from when I played against Warwickshire and a lot when I played against Lanks, because those are two successful teams, number one, in their own rights, and number two, two very experienced teams. So the way they went about certain aspects in the game, I think that sort of made the difference in why we sort of lost to Warwickshire at Edgebaston and why we lost to Lanks at home is purely that little bit of extra experience they had. So I definitely learned a lot from the way they not necessarily just went about batting and bowling and fielding, but a way they just sort of read the game and stuff like that. So look, like I say, it was that was my toughest moment um, of the season. And I think it's brought about a lot of learning though. So yeah. Well, of course, and it is those difficult moments which, you know, you get the the most profound lessons from. And you mentioned those two games. They were both brilliant, weren't they? I mean, the semi-final, unfortunate for Sussex, ending up on the losing side. But that partnership, Dane Villas, goodness me, that was quite a remarkable century. George Lavelle and, and Lamb also chipping in. And that Warwickshire game, I mean, obviously we got the result, but my heart was pounding in the Stanley Barn stand towards the end. George Garrett, the Iceman, delivering the goods, but... A great game of cricket. And Chiteshwa Pajara, who actually we'll, we'll discuss in, in just a moment, actually, as we get onto the listener questions. But that century out of nowhere, he scored like 107 from 74 balls. He was teeing off sixes and fours. And all of a sudden, the game was back in the balance. And I'm there with my friend Hayden in the Stanley Barnes. And we're thinking, oh, God, Warwickshire are going to mess this up again. And then George Garrett comes back and the game changes again. It's the ebbs and flows of cricket. And... That is why one-day cricket is so special. And the one-day cup this year, Harry, I'm sure you'll agree, very high standard in this year's tournament. I thought it was an extremely high standard. You know what I mean? There's been a lot like said about it with the 100 going on and stuff. But you look at you look at most of those teams, like you talk, you're talking, you're playing against top-quality players. You play, like when we played Leicester, we played against Vian Mulder and Buren Hendricks. They've just been playing, well, I mean, Vian just played now at the Oval for the Pro Tiers, but Buren has also not long ago been playing for the Pro Tiers as well. And then you've got guys like Chris Wright, um, Oliver Hannon Dolby, um, Norwell, like you, those are all like really experienced guys. And I'm not even, we haven't even got into like the Knots team. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. just all the teams had like really experienced players and top quality players, you know? So I thought it was, throughout it was a really really um high standard and yeah i know you said we're going to talk about pujara soon but 
what was crazy about his campaign is you look at his strike rate. It was in like the hundreds, you know, and obviously over his career, he hasn't been known for that. So I think he's really that his white ball cricket is something he's really put an emphasis on working on. Um, and I think you can see it in how much it's it's improved. So I'm really happy for him because he has put in a, a lot of hard work. Well, it's quite clearly paid off as well. In fact, I do have the stats. We always have the stats here at TCCP. Pajara in this year's One Day Cup, 624 runs, averaging 89.14, striking 111.62. It's quite remarkable, to be honest. And on top of that, just the three centuries for the uh, Indian international. Yeah, something, just casually. <laughs> something quite interesting as well. 11 sixes. 11 sixes for Chiteshwar Pajara. No, yeah, no. It was very, it was very special. I'll, I'll wait, I'll wait for your question on him first from the fans, and then I'll, we can talk more about him. Well, it's funny you mention that because this is the section of the podcast where we do get onto our listener questions. And first and foremost, thank you to each and every single one of you wonderful listeners who did send in questions for Mister Carvelas today. But this first question is from Jay Shankar, and he actually asks, "What was it like to bowl to Chateshwar Pajara in the nets? What was that like?" for you as a bowler yeah it was it was a massive challenge like um just the way he goes about it and the way he plays the ball he just plays it so differently to other batters i've played against um so it was a real challenge and what i really enjoyed about it is i learned a lot from it so i mean he's a he's such a lovely guy and he's so easily approachable. So when I'd be bowling to him in the nets, I'd say oh what did you think of this or what do you think of that and he'd help me and he'd say Oh, okay, I thought you could have done this. I thought you could have done that. So for me, it was a massive learning experience because like you said, when we play county cricket, we're going to come up against his opposite number who are going to be in the same category. Maybe not in the same league, but same category. And you need to know how to bowl to them um, and understand, okay, how am I going to get him out? Or what's a good game plan for him? How am I going to limit his scoring? You know, so stuff like that. So it was... It was fantastic. It was it was a real challenge, but it was a real learning experience. So no, I just I thoroughly enjoyed it. Well, that's excellent here. And to be honest, I've loved watching Pajara in county cricket this year. I know that he did hammer us at Edgebaston, but in, in the county championship and in the one day cup, he just oozes class and panache and flair and elegance at times. And he's just so gritty. He's got a great deal of metal and fortitude. I mean he is just the ideal overseas signing, isn't he? If we're being completely honest, someone who you would almost bet your life on to see out a game. And this next question is from Seti Sairam. And he asks, Ari, how would you describe your experiences of playing under Pajara, the captain? So what was his captaincy like? And how did you almost, you know, adapt to his, his captaincy style? What was that actually like to play under him as the skipper? Yo, it was very, it was very good. He he is like quite a very easy going captain. So he'd come to me with like the odd idea yeah and there, and he'd be like, "What do you think of this?" More about like field placings and look if something went a bit wrong, he'd come and talk to me, be like, "Okay, hey, come on, why don't we change the plan or whatever?" Um, but he, in terms of his field placing and where he put specific fielders, absolute wizard. The amount of times he would he would not even necessarily put a certain fielder somewhere. He would take a fielder, say, out of, let's say, cover, and the guy would try to hit the ball through cover, and he'd get nicked off. Do you know what I mean? Like, just <laughs> just because now you've opened that gap. And then another time, I remember, like, a few more times he'd put in, like, for one of the spinners, 
an extra mid-wicket. And then next ball, bang, straight to that mid-wicket. You know what I mean? So, like, his reading of the game was just was just really good. Like, because, I mean, from his experience and how he understands the game, um, yeah. So, no, it was, it was a great experience. You know, he highly motivating captain. And a massive thing that he did is he led by example. And I think that's a massive key attribute to a captain. If you're expecting everyone putting the hard yards, you almost have to be the one that's working the hardest. And that's certainly something that he did. So, yeah, no great captain. Really enjoyed being captain under him. Well, that is excellent here. And I think I, along with many fans of county cricket, want Chateshwar Pajara back in 2023. Uh, so do we. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I bet Sussex do. Yeah, incredible, incredible campaign. And yeah, just a brilliant player. And and quite clearly a great bloke as well from that description. Guessing you've got a lot of time for Pajara the man Yeah. in, in addition no. to the cricketer. And, you know, obviously it's a young side at Sussex and he would just give everyone the time of day, you know. Whenever anyone wanted to um, talk or whatever, he would just give everyone the time of day and, he'd, and he was just so easily approachable, you know. Um, if you ever had any questions for him, whatever it would be, cricket, non-cricket, whatever, he'd always take the time to talk to you and like really make a fuss of you. So I think, yeah, no, great, great person. Well, that is wonderful to hear. And Chiteshwar, on the odd chance that you are listening to today's episode of the Cows Cricket Podcast, sign that contract, come back. That's all I'll say. And I say that as someone who whose team got uh, annihilated at the hands of the India International. But talking of Sussex County Cricket Club, this next question is from Mark at St. Grizz on Twitter. Ari, are you going to qualify as a domestic player next season or would you have to sign on as an overseas? In terms of your status, what do you actually class as, I suppose, in county cricket? It's domestic, isn't it? Yeah, so I count as a local player, um, but a non-English qualified. So. Yes. Yeah, so I count as a local player, um, and yeah, so I'm, I'm gonna, I should be English qualified by the start of the twenty twenty four season. Excellent. Well, that's yeah. very, very good indeed. So, again, something to watch out for, Sussex fans. And talking of one of those Sussex fans, shout out to Sean Sullivan, always interacts with us here at TCCP. He asks, Ari, do you see yourself playing at Sussex for many years to come? Um, look, it's something I, w- I would like to do, but I think like you know more than anyone else, life has other plans. So mm-hmm. look, I can't, I can't, of course I would like to, um, but you know what, life has other plans. So I can't say no, that's the be all or end all. Um, but yeah, I love playing at Sussex. I love the guys. I love the team. I love the fans, the ground. Um, so I'm really, really happy at Sussex at the moment. And yeah, I would love, I would love to say there, um, right now. So yeah, we'll just see what the, what the future holds. We will indeed. And as I said, anyone at Sussex get that contract out. If it was up to me, you'd be there next season. That's all I'll say, Ari. But it's funny you mentioned about the fans actually, because we have got some more questions, but I just wanted to divert ever so slightly. Because throughout this season, we have noticed on our Twitter, I mean, this is why you've been such a, a a popular guest in terms of these questions. I've noticed little things popping up in terms of your interactions with the fans, in terms of having time for autographs and selfies and just interacting with fans. And 
I think I'll speak for a lot of not just county fans, but cricket fans in general. I've got a lot of time for that. I really do. And in terms of your relationship with the fans, how would you describe that? Not just in county cricket or club cricket, but in the game in general, how important are fans to you as a professional cricketer? Oh, they are so important. You know, they're the people that are supporting you and they want you to do well and they're giving up their time and money to come and watch you, to support you, you know? So we've got to be grateful for our fans, you know? And if it means I have to take two minutes out of my day to have a selfie with someone or have a convo where they've actually paid to come and sit and watch me, you know, that's, that means that that's, it's a privilege, you know, it's, it really is like, um, like when we played against Gloucester, I think it was, um, I mean, almost all the games, but I, I remember Gloucester and less than that, like the kids queuing up at fine leg and stuff, you know, I was one of those kids ones, you know? So for me now to be doing that, like it's a, it's an absolute privilege. So no, the fans are, are everything they are. And the Sussex fans are especially, I mean, I didn't play any county championship games at Hove, but throughout the Royal One Day Cup, they were just fantastic. Like they're filling out the stadium. They were so supportive. Um, and that really makes a difference to the players. When you're playing in, in front of a packed house, like the atmosphere and you know everyone's supporting you, it also puts pressure on the opposition. You know, like they know, they're like, oh gosh, it's not just the players, it's the fans, you know. Um, so yeah, no, the fans I could oh they be they were fantastic during the whole Royal One Day Cup and they made a real difference to the team. So I think, yeah, no, very grateful for the fans and they mean a lot. They sure do, and I must say I do like the Sussex fans. I was down there for the T the twenty blast this year. Surrey versus Sussex. Sussex actually won that game. I was in the shark stand and atmosphere was brilliant. I must say, I'm never going to say that it all topped the Hollies because the Hollies is the best atmosphere in the entire country, if not the entire planet. But goodness me, good showing from the Sussex faithful on that night against the Brown Caps and an even better performance from the team on the field. And actually talking, one more question about Sussex. This one, a little bit uh, tongue-in-cheek, I think, from Johnny. Johnny1209 on Twitter. Ari, do you want to join our Sussex group chat? <laughs> the invitation is there. Okay. Gosh, I'm not sure. I'll have to I'll have to I'll have to see about that one. Have to clear it through the coaches. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll have to first clear it through the coaches before I get involved in any uh fan group chats, gosh. Yeah, as someone who is involved in some fan group chats, they yeah, they can get quite heated at times, especially yeah, oh, when gosh. the team's not, not doing too well. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nothing like a good group chat to get some funny things sent your way, though, I must say. But, Ari, in terms of the the next question, this one is from Charlie. Charlie Strange on Twitter. Got a lot of time for Charlie as well. Shout out to Charlie. Always ask some very good questions. He's a Knots fan, actually, funny enough. And he said, Ari, you played against us at Trent Bridge twice and was very popular with us as the Knots members. Clearly a very talented cricketer, very personable lad as well. In terms of your role, do you see yourself as a bowling all-rounder at the moment? Or in the future, do you see yourself as becoming a full all-rounder? How do you see your role developing and, I suppose, evolving heading into the next few years? Yeah, certainly, yeah. I will definitely, at the moment, see myself as a bowling all-rounder. Um, but becoming a genuine all-rounder is something I definitely want to work towards. Um, and I think that's sort of one of my winter plans, is to work really hard on my batting. 
Um, I've got a few uh, things I want to work on. Um, but yeah, it's definitely something, I think it's a really good question. Um, it's definitely something I, I want to work towards um, is becoming a genuine all-rounder. You spoke about someone like Ricky Clark earlier. Um, and he's someone I've followed and sort of like a Keith Barker as well at Hampshire. He also played, he also, I mean, both of those played for Warwickshire at mm -hmm. the same time at a stage. Um, but um, yeah, those are two guys I'd really actually look up to. Um, and they sort of, that's sort of what I want to do is not only be winning my team matches with the ball, but also with the bat. Um, and obviously in the field, but I mean, that's something completely different. But yeah, I think that's something I am really working hard on. And I've been always working hard on is my batting. So I would definitely want to be a genuine all-rounder in the years to come. Well, there you go, Charlie. That was an excellent question, yeah. I must say. And, you know, just looking at the stats as well, 48 wickets in first-class cricket, 17 matches, by the way. Oh, that's not a bad record at all. Average of 25.35, 37 list-day wickets in 22 matches, average of 21.56. And then with a bat in hand, averages in 16 and 18.75 and respectively. That's pretty good going, Harry. I, I must say, and yeah, I don't think we've seen the last of you in, in county cricket so far. Maybe a promotion of the order in 2023. <laughs> That'd be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Gosh, I better get hitting those balls then. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Work hard over the winter. You never know. Could be batting at seven or eight next season. But yeah, in terms of this... Oh, this final question, and this is the road question. This is from Chris Murphy at Gribbler79 on Twitter. Ari, what's your favorite Greek food? Uh, uh, my favorite Greek food is gyros. Uh, oh, great shout. Yeah. With, hang on, with or without tzatziki? No, with tzatziki, oh, all the way. Okay. Top man. No, you know, you know, you're not keen on uh, tzatziki. Oh, no, I am. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Oh, good. Okay, yeah. No, yeah. Uh, Jeez, I grew up uh, I grew up on on Greek food, so tzatziki has been uh, a massive part of my life. <laughs> it's, yeah. what, what's actually in it though? It's is it dill? It's like this. It's like a yogurt kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's similar. It's like yogurt. Like it's actually quite easy to make. Um, it's not too difficult. Um, but it is. It's like it's like full fat Greek yogurt, like really thick. And then it's basically you just like cut up cucumber and you add a few, uh, a little bit of like spice and herbs. And yeah, there you have it. Um, Georgia and I actually made it the other day. So yeah, I know it's, it's very easy to make and very tasty. Very good on, uh, I mean, we talk about euros, but euros are basically like Greek wraps. So mm. very good on wraps. So if anyone on you is making wraps, don't be afraid to add a little bit of tzatziki. Again, a, a sentiment that is echoed by the host of the Cows Cricket Podcast. It is lovely. <laughs> it genuinely is. I do quite like Greek food, with one exception. And Ari, I'd love to know your opinion on this food. Moussaka. Yeah. Yes or oh, no? Oh, moussaka. Uh, I, look, I don't love it, but I don't mind it either. Um, it's, not, it's not really my favourite. I, uh, I wouldn't go out of my way to eat it, to be honest. So I can understand where you come from. Yeah, it's one of the only it's one of the only foods on this planet for those who aren't aware i'm a, a rather hefty chap okay does like his food but masaka is where i draw the line it, is it aubergine or eggplant Which yeah it's eggplant yeah it's eggplant <sighs> no, no i can't yeah, be having any of that my, uh, yeah it's not really it's not really my favorite so i can understand where you're coming from goodness me honestly i've had some bad experiences with masaka in the past <laughs> oh no god <laughs> Because do you ever have that that thing in life where you like you didn't like it the first time, but you give it a second go, 
maybe yeah. maybe it was just not cooked correctly the first time. Yeah. Maybe it was badly seasoned or badly cooked. No, it was the exact same the next time. It made me even more ill. So oh, fantastic. No. There you go. That's off the list. No eggplants. No, exa- oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. But Ari, that is basically it for our listener questions, to be honest. And that does just leave us with one final rather profound question to end today's podcast on, a question we always ask to each and every single one of our guests here at TCCP. What are your future aspirations in the game? And I'm not just talking about county cricket, but maybe club cricket as well, international cricket beyond as well for Greece. What would you like to achieve in the next two to three years in the game of cricket? Look, hopefully all goes well and I stay at Sussex. We don't know. But if I did, one, I'll probably have two main ones. One would be to get promoted to Div 1. That would be, that's something, I think that's something I would, I would love to be a part of a team to do that. Um, and number two would be to win one of the white ball trophies. Um, either the Blast or the, the One Day Cup. Um, I think another one would, you would, you would love to hear this, I'm sure, but is to make finals day in the 2020 oh, blast. Uh, I went to a hundred game at Edge Baston and I sat in the Hollies uh, on a Friday night. Um, so Was I know quiet? what you're, yeah, I know, dead quiet. <laughs> Could you have a pin drop? Um, so I would love to be, I would love to play in that sort of environment and atmosphere, you know? Um, so yeah, I think that. My two main ones would definitely be a winner white ball trophy and the other one would be to get promoted to Div 1 in the County Champo. Well, Ari, it goes without saying, but obviously myself and everyone here at the County Cricket Podcast wishing yourself and Sussex nothing but the very best of luck heading into 2023 and beyond. I mean, it's been an absolute pleasure getting you on for a chat today. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I've been building this up for weeks and weeks and weeks and it's delivered. And again, it does go without saying, but you're always welcome back on the County Cricket Podcast. Heading into the future, fingers crossed, we see you in County Cricket next season. I think that teams would be silly not to select you, to be honest, based off the back of of your championship and your RLODC performances. So I think it'll just be a matter of time before we do see Aristides Carvelas back in County Cricket. But Ari, that is essentially it for today's episode. Just before we do say our final goodbyes for the recording, do you have anything to plug or promote? Any social media channels, websites, anything like that? No, no, I don't. I don't have anything like that. But I just want to say thanks for for having me. I know you messaged me a few weeks ago, um, and it was I was busy time of the season, um, and I was really looking forward to it as well. So, yeah, thanks very much for having me. I've really enjoyed it, and I think this podcast I've listened to it in the past, um, and I just I just think it's great. It's grateful growing county cricket um, and giving people a bit of insight so you're doing a great job so thanks for doing that and yeah thanks for having me it's been fantastic far too kind Ari it's always our guests who have the value not the the Warwickshire supporting biased co-host <laughs> who everyone always moans about but no honestly Ari it's been a pleasure always welcome back on the county cricket podcast we will leave your Instagram in the in the podcast description below as well so any of you listeners out there if you want to go and give Ari a follow please feel free to do so quite clearly an exceptional bloke both on and off the cricket field but that is it from us two here at tccp for today's episode to each and every single one of you wonderful listeners thank you very much for tuning in and as always guys we'll see you on the next one